Morning, folks. Good to see you all. Safe to say that I didn't watch the royal wedding yesterday. Yeah. Oh. Not even a Christmas. Oh. I watched a lot of rugby. That's <laughs> <laughs> the, the royal wedding. And the reason why I didn't watch is because I'd heard that two of the Spice Girls hadn't been invited. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have watched either. So, I need the remote. Most of you will probably have heard of the Apostles' Creed. Have you heard of the Apostles' Creed? Yes. Yeah. Um, if you hadn't heard it in, under that title, you've probably recited it at some stage. It starts, it's the one that starts off, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And it's a very concise statement of what we believe as Christians. It's called the Apostles' Creed, not because the Apostles wrote it, but because it summarizes what the Apostles taught. And so around about 140 AD, uh, it was written out, and people would learn it because it was a way of passing on what the essential Christian beliefs were before everybody had a copy of the Bible. The other thing about the Apostles' Creed was that you would state it when you were baptized. You make a public declaration of the Apostles' Creed. So at your baptism, you'd invite people to come. It would be a public event, which is why we always have it as a public event out, out here. And you would then state the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and so on and so forth. What I find fascinating about the Apostles' Creed, and, and it was Tim Keller who put me onto this, because I listened to a sermon on this, he says that it starts with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, and then it goes on later on to say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, I'm not referring to the Catholic Church as a denomination, but rather as the Church Universal. So, I believe in the Church in all places and at all times. And that's a little bit perplexing, because we can understand why we would say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, because none of us have seen God. So, it is quite a profession of faith to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, because we can't see Him. There's evidence around which we could use to support the fact that He exists. But other people could say, well, so um, we, we can, uh, other people can look at that evidence and say, well, you know, we could account for that evidence in another way. It's not necessarily God the Father, Creator of heaven and earth. Maybe all of this happened by chance. Maybe it all happened as a result of evolution. So we can understand why we would make that profession, I believe in God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. But why would we profess, I believe in the church? I mean, here it is. We don't have to struggle to believe that the church exists, do we? Because here it is. We're the church. It's easy to believe in the church. But actually, it isn't. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. Because many people believe in God, but they absolutely do not believe in the church. And whether they, whether they declare that or whether they act it out, they probably have a deep subconscious lack of belief in the church. And I'm willing to bet that at different levels, all of us um, believe in the church to different extents. And so why would it be that we don't necessarily believe in the church. And I'd like to um, explore 
several reasons why we might not believe in the church, the bride of Christ. Um, over the years, I've reflected on how upbringing and culture have an influence on the way that we believe and the things that we think and the way that we see life. It's very clear that this has a strong and powerful influence on us, although often we've got to step back because we're just not aware of it. It's a bit like a fish being in water. A fish doesn't know that it's in water until you pull it out of water. And that water has an incredible effect on it, but it's not even aware of it because right from the start it's always been in water. So I've always found it particularly fascinating to be exposed to different cultures because as you're exposed to different cultures, you start to understand your own culture a little bit better and the differences. So... We used to um, have a gardener who was called Timothy. And from time to time, we'd visit his kamusha near Mutoko, a place called Nyamazue. Isn't it a beautiful place? Lovely uh, coffees um, and trees around there. If you've seen those big uh, blocks of granite coming into town on the Nyamapanda Road, there's a good chance that it's come from Nyamazue. There's a lot of quarries that are in the area. And in fact, when we drove to go and visit, we had to be careful uh, that they weren't blasting when we went to go and visit. So, that little complex there is where my gardener is. So he's got that little house on the left. They've got a little cooking hut so that you can cook um, if it's raining. And um, then when it's nice weather, you sit outside underneath this bougainvillea shelter. We took, took a bougainvillea cutting from our house. Um, and now there's Bougainvillea shelters all around that area for those mistaken cuttings. Um, about 50 meters away is where his brother Major lives in, the, in that house and that's Major's cooking hut. Between the two of them, I've lost count as to how many children they've got. They've got a lot of children. Um, boys and girls, uh, different ages, and they've also taken on five orphans because Timothy and Major's brother died of AIDS and then his wife died of age as well. So they've got five orphans that, that they look after. All of those children, the ones that aren't babies or toddlers, uh, sleep at night in this hut over here. So there's well over ten of them sleeping in that hut. And then as time went on, when the boys started to reach puberty, they built another hut so that the boys could sleep separately from the girls. It's a very communal existence. That little hut that you can see in the distance there is where Timothy and Major's parents stayed. They didn't um, cook for themselves. They would come across to Timothy's place um, and eat, so they're all part of the family there. Across over there, probably about 150, 200 meters away, is where Timothy's sister lives and all of his nephews and nieces. About 150 meters away, this side, is Chubutsi Primary School, which is where the kids go to school, so they just walk across to school. And the school itself doesn't have a very good water supply. So when, when the, the dry season progresses, the teachers and people from the school come across to use the well that Timothy has about, about five meters away from his kitchen. So, you know, the kids are constantly interacting with the teachers and people coming. All of this area around here is where the two families plant their maize um, between the two homesteads around it and the children work in the fields. Um, 
I'd like to just point out one or two other things. Let me just see if I've missed anything. Um, yes, mango trees. That tree over there is a mango tree, and there's lots of mango trees in the area. And when we visit with our kids, our kids absolutely loved the mangoes because they were so tasty. Um, not, they're very stringy, but incredibly tasty. And typically reckons it's because whenever they ate a good mango, they, one that they really liked the taste of, they'd go and plant the, plant the pip, and it would grow into a mango tree. So there's um, a whole bunch of the Masanga children, excluding the two white ones. <laughs> so, Michael, Chris and Callan, uh, Chris and Callan are the, are the two orphans, um, and, then, and then their cousin, Michael. Now, why would I mention the mango trees? Well, Timothy's son, Michael, and his two cousins, Chris and Callan, didn't have any shoes of their own. So they hatched a plan to organize shoes for themselves. So what they did was they went around and they picked mangoes as much as they could lift, and then they carried those mangoes, the three of them, at the age of about 11 or 12, carried them 12 kilometers by foot to the Nyamapanda Road, and then would wave down truck drivers and so on and sell their mangoes, and then they'd walk 12 kilometers back. So a round trip of 24 kilometers. And one trip wasn't enough to raise enough money for one pair of shoes. So they did it over and over again until they had enough to buy one pair of shoes, and Michael was lucky. He, he pulled the short straw, so he was the one who got the first pair of shoes. And then they carried on doing that until they all had enough pairs of shoes. Now you can imagine, and this is where it starts to get really interesting, that a child brought up under these circumstances, Chris, for example, the one in the middle, he would have a very different view of the world to you and I. He would see the value of interdependence rather than independence. Because after all, if he was working alone, Chris would never have been able to buy a pair of shoes. He couldn't have done it. Chris enjoys a very strong sense of family and community. He's comfortable with sharing space because he slept in a room with probably about 10 kids. He's comfortable with sharing resources. He's seen their well being used by the teachers. Um, he's used to sharing facilities. He understands the value of collective effort and community. If you contrast him with Catherine and Matthew, and Catherine had her own bedroom, She's got one brother, she's got one cousin, she grew up on a property with a boundary wall so that she seldom interacted with her neighbours, which is probably a good thing when you consider that we live next door to the Murrells. <laughs> you know I don't mean that, hey Natasha. <laughs> she travelled to school in a private car, she had her own bedroom, she had her own devices and toys. Her grandparents lived in completely independent households, separated by many kilometers. And as they got older, they went into old people's homes. Um, she had to share a bathroom. Can you believe it? She had to share a bathroom with her brother, which is probably one of the biggest trials of her life. <laughs> so Catherine and Chris, and I have a very different worldview. And as a result, Catherine might see local church community very differently to the way Chris sees a local church community. 
So for Catherine, being part of a local church community could probably well simply mean attending church on a Sunday. But for Chris, it would end up looking very different. And the effect of upbringing on people like us is that we would tend to value our independence. We're uncomfortable depending on other people. We value convenience. Isn't that the truth? We value comfort. We value solitude. We value privacy. And if we participate in anything communal, um, we're inclined to approach it with a sort of a consumer mindset. So this event or this initiative must suit me. It must be comfortable for me. It mustn't offend me. And first and foremost, it must meet my needs. Isn't that right? So I think that the first reason why we might not believe in the church as it is described in the Bible is that it doesn't necessarily suit us to. It just doesn't really suit me. That's the first reason. And I've noticed two different reactions in myself, and I've seen it in other people as well. First reaction is that because church doesn't really suit me, I'll sometimes people will sometimes pull out of their local church. So I don't participate in the corporate life and the mission of the local church. I might believe that by being born again, I'm just automatically part of the universal church. And so then I can keep my faith personal, isn't it? And for personal, sad to say, often it means comfortable, individual, free of the mess of doing family with other Christians. And we can relate to this, can't we? And then we can study the Bible alone, we can pray alone, we can listen to sermons or podcasts or watch TV alone. Um, And if we don't do it alone, then we can agree to do it maybe with our nuclear family or perhaps with a few select Christians that we get on really well with who see things the same way as we see them. That's the first reaction. Second reaction is that we end up participating in the community of a local church, but only insofar as it suits us, which usually means that we prioritize comfort and ourselves above service and community. We don't want to get too close to people. We want to keep our options open so that we can please ourselves and our own families. And the truth is that all of us invest in our local church community up to a certain level only. And that level is going to vary from person to person. Some people will be dipping their toes into the church community. Others will be going ankle deep. But I hope that you can see that the level which we as a group goes to is likely to be very different to the level that someone like Chris is going to go to. Because he is more inclined towards community, he's going to be far more likely to dive into the community of the local church. So folks, we don't believe in the local church because due to our culture, and this is something that we all suffer from, we have a tendency to want to suit ourselves. Here's another reason. Maybe the church has has hurt you. Have you noticed that church can get messy? (laughs) You notice that people can get on your nerves? They can irritate you? Brothers and sisters hurt one another, don't they? That's why Jesus commanded us to forgive 70 times 7. Not just 7 times, but 70 times 7. And when we're in a family, 
relationships can go through difficult seasons. I don't know if you've noticed this in your own family. We can go through difficult times. We spend time together, and sometimes in the middle of spending time together, I'm just thinking, I wonder why we're doing this. <laughs> this is just, it's such a mission, you know. It really can be difficult, and it's often the people that we love the most, or who love us the most, who end up hurting us the most. Do you notice that? It's true, isn't it? It's the same in the church. Relationships in the church are not perfect because Christians are not perfect. And this is not to minimize the hurt that people have experienced because we've all experienced hurt in church, but rather to acknowledge that that hurt does happen and it happens often. And maybe that hurt has caused us to pull out of the local church. Or maybe it's caused you to limit your commitment to harvest. I had a bad experience, maybe you say to yourself, in a small group. So I'm going to carry on going to a small group, but I'm not going to go to that same level of vulnerability again. Or maybe I'm, I'll come to, the, to Sunday services, but I won't get part of a small group because that'll be a little bit too close. Maybe I'll get hurt again. I'm prepared to commit to this, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But when it comes to this, I'm going to pull back a little bit from that. So that's another reason why we don't necessarily believe in the church. We don't believe in the church because maybe it doesn't suit us. We don't believe in the church because maybe we've been hurt by the church. And then a third reason, and this is one which is quite close to my heart, is that sometimes we don't believe in the local church because we just think it's a bit lame, a little bit pathetic. Why would I want to invite my unsaved friends to our church? You know, we think it's a little bit weak. In 2017, um, I was battling with depression. So I, I took some time out, I took a sabbatical, also went to the Harare Christian Counseling Center for help. And I realized that one of the sources of my depression was that I didn't believe in the church. It's probably not an ideal state of affairs for a pastor. <laughs> but to be honest, I'd come to believe that, that our church was a little bit lame. And not only our church, but other churches in the city here and going beyond were just not really worth committing to. And, and this was a problem. And often when you're going through this uh, counseling process, in fact, at any stage in your life, it's so important to try and figure out what the truth is about something. Do you know that Satan is described as the father of lies? Satan is the one who comes to deceive us. So almost invariably when we're feeling depressed or we're struggling in life, it's because we're starting to believe a lie. And we need to start analyzing what we believe in and making sure that what we believe conforms with the truth. So I, I started reflecting on this and I realized that I, was, that I was feeling depressed about the church. And so I started to think about my experience and my life and was thinking about how years ago I did some work to try and find out what I was truly passionate about. So I filled out questionnaires to see what it was that energized me, what I was excited about, um, what I had a passion for. And without a doubt, it was the local church. I had an absolute passion for the local church, for seeing the local church reach its full potential in Christ. And so now you can see why I was depressed. Because if my greatest passion was the local church, and namely Harvest, 
But I'd come to believe that that, that, that harvest and the church in general was just pathetic. <laughs> then I put all of my life and my energy and my passion um, into something and it was pathetic. I'd really become an eel. It was, it was actually not a great place to be. <laughs> I could see Gail smiling at the back because she remembers what it was like to be married to this woe-is-me person. <laughs> but then one day, I was, I was busy contesting my beliefs to see whether they conform to the Bible and to the truth. And it just hit me like a lightning bolt. The church is the bride of Christ. And so if the church is the bride of Christ, how can it be pathetic? Would Christ ever choose a pathetic bride? And you know, that insight, just that simple insight was a, was a turning point for me. And now I'm, I'm more passionate about the local church than I've ever been in my life before. I'm more passionate about this family of believers than I ever have been before. I just love the local church. Bill Heibel says that he believes that the church is the hope of the world. I wonder if we believe that. When I first heard that statement, I thought, no, I think he's got a bit wrong. I thought, no, maybe Jesus is the hope of the world. But Jesus has set things up in such a way that we mediate him through the church. We're the ones who show people what Jesus is like. We're the ones who introduce people to Jesus. So yes, Jesus is the hope of the world, but if we're not doing our job, then we're not allowing him to flow through us to become the hope of the world. And that's why the local church is the hope of the world. Now I'd like to ask you a question. What is it that we believe in when we say that I believe in the church? What does that mean? What do we actually believe? And that's what this series is going to be all about. We're going to be looking in the coming weeks what it means to believe in the church. We're going to explore our belief in the church and we're going to be doing it in a number of different areas. Sorry, there's just some me. Um, I believe in God but not the church because it doesn't suit me, it hurt me, or it's lame. And there may be others. Those are just the three that came to mind for me. Now, what is it that we actually believe in? So we're going to be looking at well, what is the mission of the church? What is the purpose of the church? What have we been called to do? Because once we know that and we put our faith and our trust and our belief in that, then we're going to be starting to believe in the church. And people will see that we believe in the church because we're working in concert with other Christians to fulfill the purposes that God has for His body, for the church. And that will probably take one or two sermons. Then, the power of the church. Does the church really have the power to transform you? And to transform communities? To transform her own? We need to see what the Bible says about that. Because once we discover what the Bible says about the power of the church, and once we put our faith and our trust in God to be like that, once we believe in the church in that way, we're going to be incredible. We really will be the hope of Harare and of Zimbabwe. We have a look at the purity of the church. Does the church need to be pure? Does it matter? Is, is purity a personal issue or is it a corporate issue? Purity of the church. The hope of the church. <laughs> what are we looking forward to as a family, as the family of God's believers? We've got an incredible hope, folks. 
And it's a hope that will get us through all sorts of really tough stuff. So what is it? What do we believe in? What is the hope of the church? Then we'll probably do one on the structure of the church. Why is it that we have pastors? Why do we have elders? Um, how, what does the Bible say about it? Are we conforming to what the Bible says about how church should be structured? Is there such a thing as authority in the church? Do we need to submit to it or not? All of those things. The structure of the church. Do I believe in it? Once again, it's all about the structure of the church. If someone's been hurt by a pastor or a leadership structure, <laughs> they're not going to believe in that aspect of the structure of the church, are they? They'll be pulling back and saying, you know, I've been hurt by a pastor before. I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to trust the leadership of this church. So the structure of the church. And then, last of all, the sacrifice of the church. I'd like to conclude with the thought that we only truly believe something when we are acting on that belief. And so if I say to you, there's a time bomb ticking in the back of this hall, if you just carry on sitting here, I have to assume you don't believe that. <laughs> but if you believe it, you'll be running and grabbing your kids and, and your wife and whatever else. So, our actions, <laughs> kids, wife, wife, woman, children, So, as as we start to discover what it is that we believe in, we need to be prepared as as a body of believers to commit to it, yeah. to believe in it, and we can be like that, and. Uh, just dipping our toes in, we can go up to our waists, or we can just leap in. And I'm hoping that that's what we'll be like, because that's what God wants us to be like. That's why it says in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Um, and I have to say, I do believe in it. I've been through my, my seasons of unbelief, as you can, will have gauged from what I've been saying. But I'm trusting that as we go through this series, as we start to explore belief in the church in those different areas that we will start to develop a passion for what God wants to do through us and how he wants to change us to truly become the church that he wants us to be, the bride that he's longing for and um, the hope of the world. Shall we pray? Father, we recognize this morning that we have been shaped by our upbringing and our backgrounds. And we want our beliefs, we want our behavior to conform to your word, to the example that Jesus set us, to the words that he spoke, and to the inspired word of God in scripture. We, we recognize that this is going to be a journey, it's going to make us uncomfortable, um, that it will be tough, and so we, we're asking that you would work with us. Help us to be honest with you about where we are. We know that we're all in different places with regard to the church. We're, we're all at different levels. And there's a good reason for that. There are legitimate reasons why we might feel the way we do about the church. And so just bring those before the Lord you know, in a moment of quiet. Maybe if the church is has hurt you or someone in the church, just bring it to the Lord and uh, just be honest with Him. Are you prepared to, to
to walk in obedience to his requirement for forgiveness. Are you prepared to, to let go of those things so that they don't hold back your growth and don't hold back the growth of, of us as a body? If you think that the, the church is a bit lame, um, what is God asking you to do about that? We are the church. All of us. Father, we commit ourselves to you and we, we're looking forward to this journey. We want to see where you take us. Um, we're very excited about the transformation that you can bring in our lives and that you can bring in, in Harari as a result of us being the church that you want us to be. And we pray that, that um, as time goes on, we would be able to say with, with full commitment and with all our hearts, we believe in the church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.